0: Thank you to our worship team, as usual, for lifting our spirits. I got a chance to talk with... John and Ashley Anthony a little bit at our well service at the end and John was saying just how much of a blessing it is to have these live streams that he can go back and look at again so I just encourage you to do the same thing if you're really uplifted by one of our songs or if you really like the sermon I guess like go back and watch it again it's really nice to have the opportunity for us to do that and that's something like my wisdom just used to go off into the air or those awesome songs that we used to sing but we're so thankful for the opportunity to do this and he was saying like it's such a blessing for him to to go back and experience some parts of our worship over and over again. So I would just encourage you to do the same because it is such a blessing to hear from our worship team. I also want to mention, I sent an email this week, but You are welcome if you are interested to come and be part of our live stream audience. We have the ability to have five people from our church who uh, can participate in that. You can do that by logging onto the Church Center app, which is free. And if you need more information on that, email me, Brian, with a Y, as usual, at Glendale.church. You can sit socially distanced from us. And I just have to tell you, it is such a powerful thing to be in this room, and you'll be very safe. But I would love it if you would. want to come and participate with us. I also want to mention that uh, watching Gabrielle sing is such a a blessing. We're thankful for her her singing for us and just a reminder for us to keep our uh, growing families in prayer. They are due in May and Justin and Jamie Smith are due in just a week. So please just keep uh, those families in prayer, especially during COVID. I know that it's, it's a stressful time. Pregnancy is always stressful, but especially right now. So please just lift up those families with me. Join us in praying for them. I also want to say a word of thanks to the team that, uh, helped us to see Hook last night. It was a blessing for me. It's a, a rare church event where I just get to show up and enjoy it. And so I'm so thankful for everybody uh, who, who did that. It was such a blessing for me and my family. I'm emotionally processing Rufio's death again uh, for the first time in a, in a long time. So, uh, yeah, if I just stop preaching, it's because of that. But uh, just, it's just one of those things. I haven't thought about that one in a while, but it's, it's a little bit painful. I also want to mention a special word of thanks to Austin for preaching last week. He did a fantastic job looking at First uh, John chapter 4, that there's uh, no fear in love. He did a, a fantastic job uh, thinking about that for us. So give him some some love on the chat and some snaps slash claps in here. It's a little bit of golf clapping uh, going on in here. I'll be concluding our series on First John today. And as I've mentioned, it's, it's a sermon that John is giving to these early Christians who are struggling with a lot as they consider what is it that Jesus is calling them to do. Some people are walking away from the church because it's, it's a lot and they're thinking, is this really worth it? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Questions that at times, if we're honest, we ask. Is this really worth giving my life to. And there's some sort of false teaching that seems to be going on in that place. And so he's trying to help them to understand what it looks like to walk in step with Christ. And it's just so interesting that he just continues to say, love, 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 love. That's what he continues to say. Like, this is who you're called to be. As I think about it, I know that there are ways that I get that wrong, and I think there's probably ways that you do, too. There was a article I saw a couple years ago about a first grader named Caitlin Lunt who was uh, in Utah, and she had just learned because she was in first grade to spell a few things. And while her mom was away, she saw amazon.com opened up and she spelled the word that she had had just learned how to write Barbie. And so she puts that into amazon.com. And a few days later, $350 worth of Barbie stuff shows up at the Lunt household. And I got to say, like that strikes a little bit of fear into me because Carter knows how to spell Pokemon now. So we got to be a little bit uh, careful in what computers computers uh, we leave open. But I just found that so interesting. There's, she gets that one chance and she just you know, types that in. And it's easy to think about, you know, what a kid might do. But what is it for you that if suddenly, you know, cost wasn't a factor that you would say, oh, this, this is the thing. Maybe it's a vacation that you've always wanted to do, or you have something that, that's on your heart that, that you want to buy. And what is it for you? Is it pogs? What is it that you think, you know, it's going to satisfy me if I just got that? Because whatever it is that you would answer to that question, it probably reveals more about your heart than you might think. It probably reveals more about what it is that you actually worship than you might think. So John concludes 1 John like this. I write this, these things to you, to those who believe in the name of our son. Go back one slide so I can read that there. Thank you. Believe in the name of our son, believe in the name of the son of God, so that you might know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So, John is is coming to the end of this letter, which really, as I said, reads like a sermon. He's communicating to this church. And there are some parts about this book that there's a lot of debate about. What is this sin that leads to death? Who is the Antichrist? There are some things that he's dealing with that, honestly, we can't fully know as we are removed from that context and don't fully understand exactly what is going on. But as he concludes this, I think there's a word that we all need to take away from this passage that is very powerful. And it's the word in verse 20 there. That Jesus Christ gives us understanding. As we think about our lives, Jesus gives us understanding. And in the the Greek there, just so you can be a Greek expert, it's dionia. And I hope my Greek teacher isn't watching this because he's like, you got to be in that class. I know I did, but I, I, I can say a word here and there. And I just think it's a really important thing that John in a lot of ways is leading up to, that, that Christ can give you understanding. And this is something at times that, you know, we, we'd raise our hands and say, I, I wish I did. You know, I wish I knew something. I wish I had better clarity about my life. And John says, you have the ability to have more understanding because of who Jesus is and because of God's love and what God has done for you. And he uses this word and John writes the gospel of John. He writes first, second, and third John, and he writes revelation. He doesn't use this word anywhere else. He spent time with Jesus and he says, Jesus Christ has the ability to give you, those readers who would have first read this and me, and everyone listening to this today, you all have the opportunity to have greater understanding and clarity about decisions that you're making right now. What would it look like for you to allow Jesus to give you better understanding and clarity? I think of the story in in Mark chapter 2, Mark is telling the story of Jesus in a very compelling way. And at the end of Mark chapter two, there's this story about the disciples walking through this grain field. And as they're doing that, it's the Sabbath and they are picking grain and and eating it as they walk by, just having a little snack. And the Pharisees are there, a.k.a. the fun police, and they are trying to keep the Sabbath holy and follow all of these rules that actually weren't necessarily rules that had been given by God, but there had these been these rules on top of rules. And unfortunately, sometimes religious people can be uh, the fun police, and you probably know a few people uh, who, who are like that. And so what they did is they had created this system because you don't want to break the law. You don't want to violate the heart of, of the Sabbath. And so they had built around the laws, what they would have called fences. So you have a fence and a fence and a fence to make sure you don't break like the real issue that's at the core of things. There are all these fences that had been built. So yeah, like maybe you mess with one of these up at the top, but you don't get to the heart. You want to stay as far away as possible. And so after the, the Sabbath is given as an instruction to the people of God, there are all these debates around like, what is work? Because in Exodus, there's this understanding, like, how are we supposed to understand what work is? And you're not supposed to work, and even your animals aren't supposed to work. So how is it that you define work? And of course, that leads to interpretations. And so the understanding of the Sabbath had gotten to a point where there were just so many Rules and it was really impossible for most people even to keep up with it. A few examples there were supposed to be no changes that you would make to your environment. You couldn't prep food on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to lift things. You couldn't make someone else work for you. You couldn't light a fire. You couldn't have your animals work and you couldn't walk more than half a mile. For some reason, they determined that you could walk half a mile and they didn't even have Fitbits. So I don't know how they measured this, but you had to be really careful about your walking. And still to this day, Jewish believers will have all these rules. For example, you can use a hammer as a paperweight, but you can't use a hammer for its intended purpose. And as we think about all of these things and these laws, I genuinely think that some sort of practice of Sabbath would be super helpful to you. But what can happen as we try to interpret this is we can end up worshiping the laws around the thing and not the actual thing. So Jesus, in this moment, as he enters into this debate, which had been raising, like raging for thousands, of thousands of years, and they're trying to figure out like what does the Sabbath mean? So there's all these opinions, and people have been going back and forth, and Jesus just cuts through all of it and he says in Mark chapter 2: the Sabbath is supposed to be a gift. The Sabbath is for man. Not man for the Sabbath. It's supposed to be a gift. And Jesus is not anti-Sabbath at all. In fact, you consistently see Jesus walking away from crowds to go be with God. At times, as a reader of the Gospels, you're thinking, Jesus, couldn't you have healed more people instead of chilling with your father for a few minutes? But obviously, it's very important for Jesus to, at times, say, time out from his ministry and walk out to the middle of nowhere and spend time with God. So Jesus is not anti-rest for your soul. But I think what Jesus would say to you and to say to me is, how could you have a rhythm weekly, where you could walk away from some of the stress and pressure from your life and realize that you aren't holding the whole world together. I think we could all just very simply learn from the theology of the children's song, God's got the whole world in his hands. And if we could find a way weekly to slow down and remember that, and I would... Argue for most of us, that means turning off some technology for a long stretch of time. There's ways that we could all connect with this idea more and more for us to live into God's reality of the world. So Jesus is not anti-Sabbath at all. But he said, what you have to do is realize that it is supposed to be a gift for you. And don't go around judging everyone else. This can become problematic when you have a rule for yourself that's a gift to you. You don't need to impose on everybody else. When Manny and I first got married, she knew that I really liked Nutella. Here's a picture of some Nutella. Makes me hungry right now because I just love Nutella, love having it around. And so she went to the store and brought some Nutella home and I ate most of it very quickly. And a couple weeks later, she went to the store again and got some more Nutella and I ate most of it very quickly because I can think of a lot of things to put Nutella on. And so after her second time of this, you know, Nutella going a little bit too fast, she said, Brian, I don't know that it's good for us to have Nutella in the house. You eat it pretty fast. And I said, that's a good idea. I probably shouldn't have Nutella in the house. And So we haven't had it ever since in our first few weeks of marriage. And that is a good rule for me. It's a good rule for my health because, again, I can just go through that stuff really fast. And the issue is that is a very healthy and, I think, helpful rule for me. But the problem would be is if, like, in some future without COVID, if I'm in your house looking in your pantry, which is a weird scenario to begin with, but let's say that I'm in your house healthily looking for some reason in your pantry, and I see Nutella in there. And I go, wow, you know, obviously he's not as strong as I am. (laughs) In reality, it's probably that you are just able to have a healthy relationship with Nutella and keep it around and not eat an obscene amount of it in a short amount of time. Like, so you probably are better at it than me. But it's easy for me to think about some rules that lead me down a path to good life that I then want to impose on everybody else. And so that's what Jesus is getting to the heart of the understanding of trying to keep the Sabbath holy is good and it's good for people, but don't go around as the fun police just imposing all these rules that aren't the Sabbath. This isn't what you're supposed to do. So in just a phrase, Jesus says so much. The Sabbath is supposed to be a gift to people. Don't make it this weight that they're not supposed to carry. Have you ever had a moment when perhaps there's like some conflict that's happening and there's a debate and somebody just comes in and says like just the right thing and everybody just knows, oh yeah, that's, that's the way we should do it. That's the way we should go. That is the decision we should make. Or they just cut through the whole situation, just say it in such a way that everybody just goes, oh yeah, that, that's right. That's what Jesus is saying here, I believe, about the Sabbath. And it's what John is saying. Jesus can help us with understanding as we think about our lives. Jesus can help us as as we think about the, the way forward in certain situations. And John has been building this argument I believe, to communicate to us that the question we should ask as we think about all of our relationships and whatever is going on is what does love require? As I think about my relationships with my friends, as I think about my relationships with people, could I just ask the question, what does love require of me in this situation? Honestly, I think that would help us clarify and understand things a lot more. And honestly, at times when we ask that question, we start to feel that tension. That is what love would require me, but I don't want to do it. Because my pride gets in the way or my ego gets in the way. But John is saying over and over again, you have the ability to, to love like God. You have the ability to do great things in the name of God in the world. If you'll focus on Love, can you just ask of a certain situation, whatever happens to be going on in your life, can you just say, you know, what does love require? Because it's easy for us all to let different things become our motivation as Austin talked about last week, but just what does love require? What would Jesus require? How does this help me as I think about my life? How can I get more clarity? John says this is how God can work in your life. God can give you better understanding. And then John finishes his book very oddly. The last verse says, "Dear children, keep yourselves from idols." And then you expect like to turn the page and be like, "All right, is there more here, or like can we have a, a couple paragraphs on idols?" But it's just very a weird change. Dear children, keep yourselves. From idols. In preaching school, they used to tell us this phrase. They said, land the plane. Like, people don't want you to know, like, keep circling the airport as you're concluding a sermon. Like, you don't want to, like, all right, I'm about to conclude. Everybody gets excited. They're you like, know, oh, you know, one more thing. Like, let me just keep this going. They think, they just land the plane. And this is a weird landing, if I'm honest, because he's been talking about these things and he just says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's like if I was preaching a sermon about grace. And you know, I really hammered it home and we were all weeping at how emotional it was. And it was just such a powerful word. And at the end, I said, and remember to tithe. Later, guys. Like, it would just be a really weird transition, right? It wasn't a sermon about giving. It was, that wasn't what that was. And it's just weird to kind of just have this abrupt change. But I think it's pretty brilliant what John is doing here. Because as I've said over and over again, he's saying, love, 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 love. 48 times in this short book, he says, love, center yourself on the love of God. Center yourself on God's great love for you. I'll say that again and again and again. Love, 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 center yourself. Become a more centered person on the love of God. And as you do that, please just keep yourself from idols because there's going to be temptation to worship created things and not the creator. So keep yourselves, my dear children, from idols because you want the real thing. You want the transformative love of God. The centering love of God. What is it for you that you would say, I I wouldn't complain anymore if I just got, God, I could serve you better perhaps if I just got, for that first grader, it was Barbies. What is it for you that you would say, if I just got this and I wouldn't complain anymore. God, if you just gave me, that. I remember distinctly I had a a prayer like that when I was done with undergrad and I tried, I applied at three different churches to work in youth ministry and I finished second three times. And one of the issues that they had, at least what I understood as far as why I wasn't able to get the job, is that I wasn't married. And in fact, one of the elders, a sweet guy from one of those churches said, Brian, is there any like marriage prospects in your life? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I don't have much game. Like I need to, to work, work on, on that a little bit. And I d- distinctly remember you know, praying to God, God, if you could just give me a wife, I could serve you a whole lot better. Like, I, this, this, is like this is not that hard. Like I think if, if, if I got that, I mean, I wanna do youth ministry, I'm just trying. And that seems to be an issue for me. So if you could just get me that, I think that can easily be true of all of us. What is it? If I could just get that? At times, marriage can be an idol for people. I love there's a theologian named Stanley Hauerwas. who says, you always marry the wrong person. And that's not true for me, but everyone else. (laughs) And you always marry the wrong person, you get married and the person that you married like eats a freakish amount of Nutella. You're like, whoa, what what is, what is your issue? And the problem is whatever, and we can do that. And again, I I totally remember saying those persons, God, like, it seems like I could serve you better if you could just hook me up on this, this one thing. And I promise like once I get that, I'm not going to complain anymore. The problem with this mentality is it just keeps moving the end zone because once you get that, you realize that there's complications and stress with that thing. And so then you have another thing. It just keeps moving the end zone. What if, instead of having these little idols and worshiping these created things, instead of the creator, no matter how important or significant that they might be, what if you just said, I'm going to focus more and more on being a centered, loving person as I am now. And that is going to be what I tether my life, to. I'm not just going to hope in this one thing that's out there and keep just chasing after this carrot. But what would it look like for you to just? Say, I'm going to be a centered, loving person where I am right now. I'm going to seek the depth of understanding that only God can give me. I'm going to keep myself as much as I possibly can from idols. There's an article in Forbes magazine a couple years ago. They had asked people, what was the good life? And the answer came back like this. It was living in a 3,000 square foot home, owning a second home in an exotic place like a beach or mountain town, having a few luxury cars, a nice ritzy dinner once a week, and an upscale college for, for their kids, for kids. And all that standard stuff, right? I don't know who they were interviewing. It just sounds like, wow, you're interviewing some people that sound like I, I'd be happy with like one of those things. But as you think about that, that is in some ways like the, the dream of if, if I only had a ton of money, I think that's maybe what I would do. I would have that, that stuff and it wouldn't be a problem. I'd still love God perfectly and I'd have all that stuff. We have these things that are just out there for us that we think is, is the good life. What I think John is trying to communicate to us is that you, because of what God has done for you, what God has done for me, you have a really good life right now. And it's not perfect. Your family's not perfect. Your church isn't perfect. There's things that are stressful. But could you say that You can find the centering love of God right where you are. That'll make you better, I believe, for one day receiving some of those things that you really want. Back in the time that this was written, elite people in that place, there is this thought that basically the food is for the stomach and the stomach was for food. And so there used to be these lavish parties that would happen. And so the very elite people, one of the the things to do as an elite person was just to eat as much as your body could possibly handle of all this rich, indulgent food. And as they have gone back and done digs at some of these sites, they found um, in in plans and through a, a room that was in some of these homes called a vomitorium. And that sounds like what it was for, that you would just eat your fill and then go to the vomitorium. And it was like, that was a good time. You would just live out your indulgences and do that and just get as much as you possibly can. And I think we don't necessarily think that that is is a good idea at all anymore. And eating disorders are things that we all need to work on. If you need help in that area, please let me know because it's something that is a very real problem for us today. But I don't think we don't necessarily think that that's a good idea with food, but we indulge ourselves in all kinds of ways without real checks And balances. It's not that long that smartphones have been in our lives, and I think the average person spends about five hours on it per day. It's easy to just spend your time, just focus in on other things and just indulging in all of this stuff. And John would remind you: keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from Stuff that you can so easily worship that's the created thing and not the creator. Could you tether your heart and your life to something that's immovable? The love of God that isn't gonna let you down. The love of God that, that you need, that I need at times to, to face the stresses of life. I'd love for you to think for a minute about the person in your life who has loved you the best. Maybe it's a grandparent or a parent or just a close friend. Who is it that loved you the best? If you feel comfortable, you can share on the chat or say to somebody in the room who comes to mind for you. Who is it that loved you the best? What's fascinating is you read this letter from John. See, tells you that as you receive that kind of love, that is the very love of God the way that person put you first and made you feel safe and just did something for you that was so profound and significant, that is the very love of God. That's what our God's love is like. What if daily you could think about that? The way you felt most safe and most loved is the place that that you live from, that you constantly return to. It gives you better clarity and understanding about moving forward. It keeps you away from the idols that sometimes you worship for a while and then you get it and you just move the end zone again. God loves you. God loves me deeply in the ways that you've most profoundly experienced the love of other people, John says, that's God. What if you could live from that space? What if you could say, God, I I trust that you love me like that. And I trust that you have your You have my best intentions at heart as I try to love the world. So as I think about this complicated situation or whatever it is that I'm facing tomorrow, God, I'm going to trust that your love can lead me. I'm going to ask, what does love require of me so that I can enter into this situation with a new perspective? I'm not going to live from my pride or my ego or all this stuff that gets in the way, but I simply am going to ask, what does love require of me? and I'm going to stop chasing idols because my heart needs to be tethered to something deeper. May you recognize that when you have been loved so well, that is the heart of God. And may we remember this book where John reminds us over and over and over again, we are loved deeply by God. And that should change us all the time.